For The Daily Princetonian, I'm Eden Tashoma. You're listening to Daybreak. Toni Morrison's novels have been the subject of book bans for decades. Today, we look at why her books are a target and how their censorship impacts the United States education system. It's Sunday, February 27th. Just over five decades ago, Toni Morrison published The Bluest Eye, her first novel and a work that would launch her into a lifelong career of critical acclaim amongst literary community. Over the years, she would go on to win the Pulitzer Prize for her fifth novel, Beloved, a Nobel Prize in Literature, and the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Morrison joined Princeton's faculty in 1989, where she taught courses in the humanities and African-American studies. Two years before she passed in 2019, Morrison Hall was rededicated in her honor for her achievements and contributions to the university. Despite the acclaim that her work has garnered, it has been subject to a decades-long controversy that has recently been reignited. Book bans. In January, school districts in Florida and Missouri took her books off the shelves. Since the start of the 2021-2022 school year, the American Library Association has seen an, quote, unprecedented volume of challenges around books by and about people of color involving issues of race, and the banning of her books has particularly drawn headlines. I am Anne Chang. Professor Chang is a professor of English here at Princeton. She's an interdisciplinary and comparative race scholar who works primarily with 20th century American literature and with a focus on Asian American and African American literatures. I sat down with her to discuss Toni Morrison's legacy and the impact of banning her works. So for years we've seen Toni Morrison's books as the subject of book bans in school districts. What about Toni Morrison's works make her a target for these bans? think that the people who are banning Toni Morrison's work have not read the books. I suspect all they know is that this is an African-American author who has been writing about the various injustices that have plagued African-Americans in this country. I think that fact alone, the fact that she is writing about race, is enough to make her a target. Why is she being singled out? That's something you have to ask the people doing this Toni Morrison taught here. Morrison Hall is named after her. Morrison is opening an exhibition of her works in spring 2023, and she won a Nobel Prize in literature. So she's very obviously an important figure in American literature. Where do her work stand in the American literary pantheon? She is one of the most important and certainly most globally well-known and recognized authors of the 20th century from America. And the reason why she is so significant a figure is because her work is not only significant for literature, because her novels are just, you know, gorgeously written, but also profound, deep, thoughtful meditations about American culture and social and racial life and history. Uh, Her nonfiction writing has also been incredibly important. Her book, Reading uh, Playing in the Dark, which is a book of essays, not fiction, but a book of essays. That book is based how literary scholars thought about how to approach African-American literature or even the idea of African-Americanness in American literature writ large. So, you know, her contribution is not only to American literature, but also to American literary criticism in the academy. As you've already mentioned, The majority of Morrison's works touch on the issues of Black Americans, and arguably in an unrelenting and honest manner that can make readers uncomfortable. So what's the importance of having a voice like hers present in the literature that young adults are reading? Well, I think you you hit the the key word here, which is 
make people uncomfortable. Art has always made people uncomfortable. Whether it is Toni Morrison or Marcel Duchamp, the thing that really makes me so stirred by this trend about the fear of discomfort is that nobody learns anything without discomfort. It's only when we step outside of what we know do we actually learn something new. So the idea that we are going to you know, protect ourselves from discomfort is so regressive, not only politically, but just I think as a human being, to be afraid of discomfort is to be afraid of learning anything new. But then you take that very basic fact that learning is always about being in an uncomfortable position, being outside of, of your place of ease and comfort. If you take that and then, you know, apply it to the question of race, American racial history, it is an uncomfortable history. You know, we cannot make it okay, but is it better to not look at it? You know, when we look at the sort of eruption of racial violence in this country, you know, it's a boiling pot of systemic inequality and injustice that has been brewing in America since, really since the birth of this country. So yeah, it's uncomfortable to know that history. But to ignore that history, one, doesn't make it go away. And two, makes you incredibly complicit in the history of systemic racism. Yeah, and you you spoke about how like being uncomfortable is like the key to learning something new and that that's a necessity. Do you think that censorship has a place within education? We're not talking about an objective standard, right? It's not an objective standard that, you know, oh, there's things that are comfortable and there's things that are uncomfortable. African-Americans and Latinos and Asian-Americans, you know, have been uncomfortable in mainstream culture for very long time. So why are we suddenly worrying about, because basically what we're talking about is white discomfort. And one of the reasons is censorship is because it is assuming a judgment that is objective when it is not. It is assuming we are, that we all know and agree on what is uncomfortable and that the people who are trying to enforce these restrictions are saying that their standard, their standard of what's uncomfortable should be all of our standards of discomfort, which is simply oppressive and not true. But also, again, I just want to say that, you know, we live in a superbly uncomfortable time. I mean, look at what's going on. I mean, I cannot even name the number of disasters that we're facing as a country and globally. So we don't live in a comfortable time. Why is it that we think we can protect our children from discomfort? So I think it's censorship. I also think it's a profound, it's profoundly anti-intellectual. It's anti-learning to say that we should not be made uncomfortable. We should not be made uncomfortable by literature or painting, you know, or a sculpture. Now, I, that, that is not to say that there are not ways to teach uncomfortable material in a thoughtful manner. You know, literature itself is full of grief, violence, terrible feelings, terrible things happening to good people. I mean, literature is full of (laughs) war and peace, right? And 
And when we teach literature, we, you know, if there are things, let's say, for example, like a topic like suicide makes everyone uncomfortable and actually might be a trigger for some particular readers in, in particular. And so I think it is the job of the teacher to contextualize and give students a kind of not warning, but a map of what might be coming. That kind of that kind of thoughtful teaching and framing and contextualization that's necessary for teaching sensitive material. I think that is something that teachers should do. But the censoring, not reading the uncomfortable, that just, as I said, it's just deeply anti-intellectual. You teach the bluest eye. Why do you choose to have one of her works in your curriculum? Well, I teach her her novels a great deal, partially because she's one of the greatest writers of the 20th century. And the reason when I say that, it's because the, the writing is so not only gorgeous, but so dense and beautiful. So, you know, there's such a payoff. And, you know, you can take a sentence, a single sentence from Toni Morrison and spend 45 minutes to an hour talking about that one sentence. And there is that sentence is strong and rich enough to sustain that discussion. There's so much payoff to paying attention to Toni Morrison. And so I teach her mostly because she's an example of, you know, one, a beautiful writer. Two, she really teaches students the rewards of close reading. And three, because she addresses and writes about really important issues in our world today. You know, I tell my students all the time that we do not read Toni Morrison because we need her to prove to us that there is racism. We don't need Toni Morrison for that. All we need is a newspaper. If we want to see evidence of racism, just read a newspaper. But we go to Toni Morrison because she is someone who traces and dramatizes and help us and pushes to think about all of the profound, invisible and visible consequences of racism, the consequences that you could see in the lives, not only of racialized subjects, but also you know, among mainstream white subjects, how we are all hurt by racism, not just, not just the people of color, but everybody, you know, the sort of profound ways in which racism influences our society and our family life, our cultures in these profound, as I said, you know, often visible, but often invisible ways. And that's the kind of insight that you get from Toni Morrison. You don't, you don't go to read her just to reassure yourself that, oh, God, there is racism in America. You go to her to understand what is race? What is racialization? What, is the, what are the consequences of racism? How does race play into issues of power and desire and education and, and so forth? She's so much more than just someone who writes about racism. It's so rewarding, so important. Thanks to Professor Chang for taking the time to speak with me. In a collection of essays called Burn the Book on censorship, Morrison writes, the thought that leads me to contemplate with dread the erasure of other voices, of unwritten novels, poems whispered or swallowed for fear of being overheard by the wrong people, outlaw languages flourishing underground, essayists' questions challenging authority never being posed, unstaged plays, canceled films, that thought is a nightmare as though a whole universe is being described in invisible ink. That's all for Daybreak Today.
Today's episode was written and sound engineered by me and produced under the 146th Managing Board of the Prince. Our theme was composed by Ed Horan, class of 2022. For the Daily Princetonian, I'm Eden Tishoma. Have a wonderful day.